0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. Today we're going to talk with Josh Burnett. He is the co-author. He's also a co-owner and operator of Chick-fil-A. Anyway, he's the co-author of Adulting 101. This is book two. The book is published by Broad Street and offers great advice for young people transitioning from childhood into adulthood in some very practical and meaningful ways. He'll join us later this hour. Taking a look at some of the day's news, President Biden ended his infrastructure talks with Capito and the group of GOP senators with disagreements on spending. Well, the president broke off the negotiations with the GOP senators led by Shelley Capito on Tuesday with disagreements regarding the structure and the size of his proposed infrastructure Spending plan. Well, discussions between the White House and Capito's group were cordial. The president walked away feeling as though the negotiations ran their course and were in good faith. An administration source says, well, talks broke down because the president wanted Republicans to present a more significant number for infrastructure investments and because he felt their plan to pay for a proposed $1 trillion package lacked specifics. Well, bipartisan um, House Problem Solvers Caucus. Yes, there's a Bipartisan House Problem Solvers Caucus. Uh, I said carcass, but it's actually caucus. <laughs> Both might apply. They endorsed their own proposal after the infrastructure talks fizzled. We'll find out what's in that. Well, GOP lawmakers offered a $928 billion infrastructure proposal that included roughly $330 billion in new spending on Related projects. The president had proposed a $1.7 trillion spending plan funded by tax hikes on corporations and the wealthiest Americans. Now, I hate to tell you this, but there aren't enough of either to cover the cost of $1.7 trillion you and I would end up having to pay for that in one way or another. In other developments, Senator Capito says Biden missed the opportunity to gain 20 Republican support in the failed infrastructure talks, and a bipartisan caucus has endorsed its own proposal after the infrastructure talks came to an end. Senator Manchin is pushing back against the Democrats' only infrastructure bill as the bipartisan negotiations crumbled and calls the infrastructure bill a golden opportunity but warns against eliminating coal. Well, the California road rage suspects, they've been charged in the death of a six-year-old boy. The California couple arrested in connection with the road rage shooting that killed the six-year-old Aiden Leos uh, made a brief appearance virtually in court on Tuesday and had their bail provisionally set at $2 million for the 24-year-old Marcus Anthony Arras and $500,000 for the 23-year-old Wynne Lee. Aiden was shot while on his way to kindergarten on the 21st of May in Orange County, southeast of Los Angeles. Ares was charged with murder and shooting at an uh, uh, occupied motor vehicle, both of which are felonies, according to a criminal complaint. Lee was charged with accessory after the fact. A felony and concealing a firearm in a vehicle, a misdemeanor, the document states. Well, according to accounts from Aiden's mother and witnesses who stopped to help her, another car cut her off and she responded with a hand gesture and the car slipped in behind her and someone inside fired a shot through the rear window. California Highway Patrol officials have said that the road rage violence stemmed from a perceived unsafe lane change. Ali was believed to be driving the car and Aris was in front. Uh, and is suspected of being the gunman, according to the Orange County District Attorney, Todd Spitzer. Well, a California hit-and-run killed three girls and left one badly injured. The Southern California hit-and-run driver who killed the three girls and critically injured a fourth reportedly got out of his car with a flashlight, saw the four victims, and took off without calling 911 or rendering any kind of aid. Authorities said uh, in, rather, in Lucerne Valley, Uh, which is in western San Bernardino County, were searching for the suspect. The incident occurred at about 10.30 p.m. on Saturday night. The victims, identified as 11-year-old Willow Sanchez, Daytona Baranos, 12, Sandra Miser, 13, and a fourth, were walking along a, uh, a desert highway. Two of them used wheelchairs. Natalie Cole, 14, was hospitalized in critical condition. The truck was identified as a white Chevrolet Silverado. The driver allegedly drifted on the shoulder of the road and struck them from behind, the California Highway Patrol said. Uh, Fox 11, the local station, reported that family members told the Victor Valley News Group that uh, um, Baronas and Cole are both wheelchair-bound and were being pushed by the other two girls. Her leg was uh, amputated in the accident, um, all Uh, Her other limbs are shattered and her liver is bleeding. Her kidneys are struggling. Cole's mother said it's not clear uh, whether she will survive her injuries. Well, the Facebook whistleblower raised over $500,000 after being fired for leaking to Project Veritas. And Ashley Babbitt's family is seeking to the identity of the officer who shot her in a lawsuit. Ivanka Trump is focusing on family time in the months after the Trump administration, and an ex-NYPD captain uh, running for mayor slams the AOC-backed defund police candidate whose block hired uh, private security. So for those of us who can't uh, afford private security, uh, defunding the police leaves us, well, undefended. The U.S. Senate passed a bill to raise fees on the biggest mergers, and uh, Amazon is re- uh, reviewing bids to replace J.P. Morgan as a credit card partner. The Las Vegas Sands is facing $12 billion claim in a Macau court, and the Senate has passed a bill to boost the U.S. tech industry and counter rivals. The IRS wants Congress to help collect cryptocurrency tax information. Well, a judge lifted the suspension of a teacher refusing to use transgender pronouns. Judge James Plowman Jr. said Tuesday that Leesburg Elementary School teacher Byron Tanner Cross must be allowed to return to his job after the school's principal suspended him in late May for objecting to a proposed policy on how to address transgender students. The policy will allow transgender students to use their chosen names and gender pronouns. Cross, the teacher who teaches physical education, said the policy violated his religious beliefs, the Alliance Defending Freedom, who represented Byron Cross, called it a massive victory for freedom of speech. We'll talk more about the uh, school board meeting in which residents uh, stood in support of the teacher, Mr. Cross. The Labor Department reports a record 9.3 million job openings in April as the Fed continues to pay people to stay home from The story, job openings increased 998,000 in April, including 391,000 in leisure and hospitality, 108,000 in trade and transportation, and 102,000 in manufacturing as more states lifted COVID-19 restrictions. Yet new hires increased by a mere 69,000. Employers uh, filled about one in 15 new positions. The New York Times is critical of Vice President uh, Kamala Harris on her return from Mexico. The New York Times declared it a high-stakes trip to Mexico and Guatemala, during which she took on the politically volatile issue, but later noted... Ms. Harris's team has tried to distance her from the U.S.-Mexico border issue an acknowledgement of the political baggage it brings to any Democrat with aspirations for higher office. While she has shown a willingness to speak about the causes of migration, Ms. Harris has stumbled when discussing the border. Again, the New York Times, Nikki Haley was less delicate, saying any leader knows you can't fix what you can't see. She hasn't seen uh, been on the ground. She hasn't talked to Border Patrol. She doesn't know what is happening there. Well, Abigail Shire, she says the Senate is taking um, kids and encouraging them to uh, change genders in defiance of parents. Trier, she tells some horrifying stories of parents who realized they had to play along just to get their kids back. If you live in the West Coast state or in a West Coast state, you are at risk. More on that later in the program. And President Biden's budget nixes moms calling women birthing people. The far left is controlling the language. Well, why are woke Democrats waging a war on women? Joe Biden is embracing a particularly disturbing term for women who give birth. While most of us call these women mothers, the woke insist on a new terminology, birthing people, just when we think the destruction of the English language can't get any worse. Someone says, well, a lot of things. Joe Biden's fiscal year 2022 budget, a $6 trillion monstrosity, addresses the maternal mortality rate in the United States. The section begins by using traditional wording such as maternal and woman. Then toward the end, there is a shift to gender neutral language. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk with Josh Burnett. He is the co author of Adulting 101, Book Two. We'll talk more about that in our next segment. Well, continuing a story I began in the previous segment, the president's 2022 budget is full of wokeness and mothers are now birthing people. Well, the uh, fiscal 2022 budget, it's a six trillion dollar monstrosity, addresses the maternal mortality rate in the United States. Well, the section starts out using traditional wording like maternal and woman. You know, you understand those concepts. Then toward the end, there's a shift to gender neutral language. The United States has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed nations with an unacceptably high mortality rate for black, American, Indian, Alaskan native and other women of color. The provision reads then the sections language does some, well, flip flopping between birthing people and traditional language. Well, Biden's budget would allocate over 200 million dollars in funding to help end this high rate of maternity morality and race-based disparities in outcomes among birthing people. Birthing people, okay. Does that include midwives? I'm not quite sure what he means by that. Well, the paragraph then jumps back to using maternal health and maternal morbidity, terms which refer to motherhood. Also included in that $200 million allotment are investments to implement implicit bias training for health care providers. Well, the maternal mortality rate is a worthy discussion to have, uh, as is um, that of the needs of various communities. The problem with labeling mothers as birthing people, though, is to deny the fact that mothers are women. Full stop. Men are not mothers. Now, I've seen some transgender women who proclaim themselves to be men become pregnant. And there's a big uproar because a man is having a child when in fact it's a biological woman. And we're supposed to accept that with a straight faith. Men are not mothers. The ability to give birth is one gift that men were not given. It steps, uh, it sets women and men apart. Men and women are biologically different by design design, a deliberate use of the word, it is astounding that in 2021, this discussion is even necessary. Well, you can blame Representative Cory Bush for all this, uh, well, malarkey, as the president would say. The term came straight out of her mouth during a hearing in the House on Black Maternal Health. The usual suspects jumped to her defense for using such uh, ridiculous terms uh, when Bush received criticism for it back then. Well, the the Biden budget birthing people discovery uh, comes after elected officials such as Democratic Missouri Representative Cory Bush were slammed by conservatives for using the phrase black birthing people to refer to black mothers surrounding a House Oversight Committee hearing on black maternal health. The National Abortion and Reproductive Rights Action League, a pro-abortion nonprofit organization, defended Bush in a statement claiming that it's not just cisgender women that can get pregnant and give birth. Reproductive freedom is for everybody. Okay, I'm not even going to dignify that with an explanation, which is obvious to anyone who understands biology and lives in the real world. But Nayroll attempted to turn this into a discussion on sexual orientation in order to defend Representative Bush. No one disputes that lesbians give birth. It's a, a straw man defense. Well, conservatives and other reasonable people do dispute using labels that imply that either gender can give birth. Now, why do liberals want to diminish women? Is it because they do not truly value women's complete place in our society? Motherhood and raising children is an important Uh, As important as any other job, most of us would argue the most important. Well, conservatives criticize the term because it seems to be an attempt to cancel women by including men. It takes liberal fever dreams of a gender free society to the extreme at the expense of motherhood, which is only occupied by actual women. Well, let's be honest. This is about not offending the transgender community, a minuscule population in our society that uh, the current trend in culture is to normalize gender dysphoria. Well, transgender men have given birth because they are biologically women. The uh, man may try to be named as a... uh, Baby's father on a birth certificate. In one such case, a UK high court ruled that that's a no go. The ruling established the first legal definition of mother in English common law. Well, born female, Freddie McConnell transitioned to become a man and was legally recognized as male when he became pregnant. When she became pregnant in twenty seventeen giving birth in twenty eighteen while well, the twenty rather the thirty two year old took legal action after a register told him that u k law required people who give birth to be registered as mothers. On birth certificates. Well, in ruling with the government, Andrew McFarlane, the president of the uh, high court's family division, deemed that being a mother referred to being pregnant and giving birth regardless of whether that person in law was a man or a woman. Now, in law, he's not talking about biology. There is a material difference between a person's gender and their status as a parent. He ruled in that case. Well, being a mother, whilst hitherto always associated with being female, is the status afforded to a person who undergoes the physical and biological process of carrying a pregnancy and giving birth. It is now medically and legally possible for an individual whose gender is recognized in law as male to become pregnant and give birth to their child. Whilst that person's gender is male, their parental status, which derives... Uh, from their biological role in giving birth is that of mother. Well, it's convoluted, but at least it makes sense. Well, living as a transgendered person doesn't change the reality of human biology. It really boils down to that. I don't care how anyone wishes to be identified. I do, however, care about woke liberals reducing my identity as a mother. It's a special status that deserves honest appropriation. Well, there you have it and our rather confused culture. Well, the Houston hospital has suspended 178 workers for not getting vaccinated. And remember when they were heroes risking their lives during the COVID pandemic? Well, now apparently they are considered pariahs within the system. Can't have it both ways. And it of course raises questions about how these healthcare professionals or what they know that the general population doesn't, that they decline to avail themselves of the vaccine. Well, Hunter Biden repeatedly called his lawyer the N word. Now, his lawyer is Caucasian, and the texts have now been made public. Georgia is seeing a $3 billion surplus. That's the largest in state history, if the expected numbers um, hold true. And that may, in fact, be the case. Well, the Washington Post has declared um, bird names to be racist, along with virtually everything else. Add them to the long list of things the far left seeks to cancel from the story, as with the wider field of conservation, racism and colonialism are in um, ornithology's DNA, indelibly linked to its origin history. Well, the challenge of how to move forward is roiling white ornithologists as they debate whether to change as many as 150 eponymous names of birds that honor people with connections to slavery and supremacy. Let me just tell you, as an African American moving forward, please choose whatever names you might uh, decide are appropriate. But there are issues that impact the lives of people that I would much prefer you focus your attention on rather than the names of birds. 150 eponymous names of birds. Well, in the economy, a record 9.3 million job openings remain unfilled and job quits are surging to unprecedented levels. In other words, these are people who are quitting their jobs. You would think that after the pandemic and um, being – um kept from your job and many people losing theirs, we would all be rushing back to work. But apparently that is not the case. Being quarantined has had the opposite effect. And of course, the unemployment benefits that are available to many on a weekly basis may be contributing to that as well. So job quits are surging to unprecedented levels. Well, the U.S. has recovered $2.3 million from the Colonial Pipeline ransom and California gun sales are up 60% during the uh, pandemic. In government and politics, President Biden has ended his infrastructure negotiations with Republicans. At least he can say he tried. Emails show COVID, uh, the response team, pushed the natural origin theory. And the White House says passing H.R. 1 is a national security issue. The president's budget omits mother for birthing people. And that's the way of the 21st century under this administration so far. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show up next. we'll talk with Josh Burnett. He is a owner and operator of a chick-fil-a He's the co-author of adulting one o One Book Two. That's coming up next on the georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on ninety three point nine kpdq
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, my next guest and his co-author have written a book on adulting in fact, it's titled adulting one o one book two, which tells you there was a book one. Well, in this second edition of the book, Josh Burnett and Pete Hardesty offer life skills and practical advice to launch 20-somethings into healthy, successful adulthood. Now, the pair have a shared passion to guide emerging adults into becoming happy, fulfilled adults. Adulting 101, book two, is divided into two sections. Section one lays out expectations, skills, and resources about self-awareness, leadership, responsible consumption of social media, and and Section 2 discusses mental health issues and offers solutions regarding anxiety, depression, and loneliness. Well, they also discuss the importance of knowing God and the ways in which your faith influence your life. Well, as... Uh, so- uh, a uh, follow-up to their best-selling Adulting 101. The authors offer personal examples, valuable insight, and applicable questions to help their readers. With us today is Josh Burnett, one of the uh, authors of the book. He's a Chick-fil-A owner and operator, author, husband, and dad. His passion is investing in young people through his restaurant and his work with nonprofits. He served as a coach, speaker, and innovation leader throughout his career. In his free time, he enjoys reading, traveling, volunteering on several boards in the community, and snowboarding. Well, he and his wife uh, currently reside in Yorktown, Virginia, with their three young children. He joins us today by phone to talk about this great resource for 20-somethings. Thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Burnett. Hey, thank you so much for the opportunity, Georgine. Now, let me ask you, first of all, this is Adulting 101, Book 2. Is it required that you read Book 1 in order to um, benefit from Book 2? Not at all.
2: The, the two resources completely stand alone, and in all honesty, I think that we may have written the two backwards. A- an easy way to think about them is book one really addresses some of the critical things that what an adult does. So this is buying or renting an apartment or buying a car or time management or interviewing jobs. So some of the hard skills, book two really addresses who a healthy adult is. Mm -hmm. So we we wrote the first book. We felt like there was a very tangible need and really the genesis of the second one was feedback that we received from the students that we work with saying, Hey, this is great information, but we we would love to see better modeled, like what is healthy adulthood and have
1: a clear picture for that. Now the word adulting has been made popular um, most recently. Sometimes it's uh, used in a way to uh, denigrate young people In your case, it's to identify a skill set that I think a lot of young people aspire to. Talk a bit about the use of the word adulting and what your intention is in using it.
2: Sure. So I feel like that word has really come into pop culture in a very negative way, Mm -hmm. where it's uh, you see t-shirts or mugs, I don't feel like adulting today. And, And I wonder how much of that has to do with not having a clear picture of what healthy adulthood looks like and just all the benefits and joy that can come with that. Uh, and so for Pete and I, really, we're, we're addressing it because it's obviously a very popular word within the, the languages, of the people that we work with frequently, but really wanting to put a positive spin on life continues to have the ability to get better and better and be more and more fulfilling and uh, to have a perception that it's kind of over when you, you have to quote unquote start adulting. Uh, it's just not the right message we want to send the young people.
1: Now, for my generation, and I'm I'm long been an adult. I just celebrated my 65th birthday this past weekend. Uh, oh, the notion of oh, thank you, thank you. The notion of a book outlining what it means to be an adult and how to conduct oneself would would be unthinkable. We, for the most part, derived that wisdom from our parents and grandparents. What has changed that this kind of resource is necessary? And I would argue that it is necessary because young people really seem to be grappling with some of the basics that seem um, that came naturally within the family unit in my generation and generations before. Sure.
2: I think there's many different things that that go into this. Ultimately, I think the world continues to grow an increasing complexity. And there's continues to be more and more things that can distract and tempt us and move us away um, from that healthy adulthood state. But really, I mean, for, for both Pete and I, the reason why we wrote this is we really noticed in the young people we were working with, me as an employer and him as a nonprofit leader, was the students we were getting had great hearts, great work ethic, but really didn't have a clear picture of like, how to do some of these basics. And they weren't learning that maybe at home from uh, their parents or parents. They weren't getting that very important information through school or wherever they might be at. And so we're kind of the next step right after the family and the school, it's the employer and uh, just kind of broke both of our hearts. And we were like, we want to care for this generation well. And uh, these students have this felt need. I mean, I can't tell you Mm -hmm. how many folks I've sat down with and said, okay, this is kind of how to buy a car. And uh, after the the number of uh, conversations around that, that was really when we decided to pen to paper and say, all right, how how do we help more people with this more consistently? But Yeah. yeah, really a lot of it just not being seen, or maybe there's just not the opportunity to happen in the home.
1: In the uh, back of your book, you write, growing old is mandatory, growing up is optional. And you're talking about young people who long to uh, to know what it means to grow up, what it looks like, how to manage certain uh, things that are sort of rites of passage when you are in your 20s. And your book gives them the practical wisdom that they need. Uh, to do just that. now let's talk about the difference between knowledge. There's a lot of information. We live in an information age and wisdom. What are some tips on how to gain wisdom uh, in the midst of so much um, access to information?
2: Sure. So yes, to your point, I mean, we live with an encyclopedia in our pocket at any given time. Uh, we've never had to question the ability to find knowledge, but I feel like wisdom is the application of that. And, knowledge has almost become a commodity where we don't take it that next step to apply wisdom. And so Pete and I give just a few tips and tricks around, uh, I mean, honestly, a lot of basics, but uh, developing self-awareness is a big piece of this. And how are you coming across? um, So in order to gain wisdom and understanding, you first need to understand yourself. We talk about engaging in different experiences and finding a constellation of mentors, people that you want to be more like and spending time with them and and just really finding new experiences to be a part of. We feel like we gain and learn so much from engaging with people that are different than us and visiting places that are unfamiliar and really want to encourage people to kind of take the next step and uh, be able to apply some of that knowledge and turn it into wisdom.
1: You begin uh, the book on the subject of self-awareness in an age where social media Focuses a lot of attention on oneself and what others, how others perceive us. Talk about the the subject of self awareness, and um, uh, the fact that it's a cornerstone to adulthood.
0: Sure. So we
2: we kind of build the first section of this book around he- what is healthy adulthood, and we say that it's knowing yourself and then leading yourself, and then knowing others and leading others. So we start chapter one around the concept of self awareness and back to the whole point of everybody grows up. But I mean, you, everybody gets old, but they don't always grow up. Um, I mean, we all know a lot of folks in our lives that have continued to get older and older, but they still are very unaware of who they really are. And they've struggled to look in the mirror in terms of mm-hmm. how do they come across to the people that are in their lives and their relationships. So we, we try to give, again, some, some basic tips and tricks. And really, we desire this book to be a great launching point. We cover a lot of topics um, in pretty quick fashion. And so we really desire this to be a wonderful resource for parents, for employers, for youth group leaders, whoever it might be that you have somebody in your life that's a little bit younger and they're like, hey, I want to start this dialogue and really helping to launch uh, this student in my life. Well, um, that's really the desire for this book is to be that
1: resource. Well, and it is a great practical resource in all the ways you've just described. Now, I need to take a break here in a moment, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, we're talking about the uh, book Adulting 101. We're talking about book two, but there is also a book one, and it would make a great gift for a graduate or someone in your life that you uh, want to help mentor into um uh, strong adulthood, uh, we're going to talk a bit about how you can acquire the book when we return as well. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, continuing my conversation with Josh Burnett in just a few moments.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Welcome back. I'm continuing my conversation with Josh Burnett. He is a Chick-fil-A owner and operator, spends a lot of time around young people. He's also the co-author along with um, uh, his is uh, co-author Pete Hardesty of the book Adulting 101, Book Two. As I mentioned uh, earlier, there's also a book one, and I would encourage you to pick up both uh, great resources to uh, engage in conversation with young people or if you happen to fit into that category to sort of guide you through some of the questions and things you ought to be thinking about to become a responsible thinking and um What's the word I'm, I'm trying to think of? Anyway, adults, so all of those, so all of those things. Um, you recommend young adults find friends who are different than they are. Uh, talk about the value of a mentor and how uh, to find a mentor and, and to find and cultivate relationships with people who uh, are different than, than you might happen to be.
2: Sure. So we'll, we can split that up into two different pieces. I feel like a, a mentor, just somebody that's a little bit ahead of you in life that you aspire to be more like, and uh, always seeking out, not necessarily even just one person, and it doesn't even have to be particularly formal, but having different older people in your life that you want to grow and learn and be more like really help to give you guidance into where you're at in your journey, and so this has been something that's been really crucial for me over my years. In fact, my co-author, I would say, has been one of those mentors, but really somebody that gives you great perspective being able to kind of look back and give you a much more objective point of view than what you're able to have in the moment. And that can be as informal as uh, engaging with uh, maybe friends of, if you're a younger person, if you, of your parents that you, you like that, hey, you could see sitting down over a cup of coffee or over a meal and just hearing a little bit more about their story and really wanting to learn about who they are and their lives. So, having mentors, not just one, but a multitude of people that you can pull from and get valuable information is crucial. Second piece of that is engaging with people that are unlike yourself. It's very easy for us to kind of go back into these silos of comfort. And as a result, we can continue to, if you if you only surround yourself with people that think the same way that you do, or like the same things that you like, then you, you don't have an opportunity to experience how vibrant life can truly be. I would say some of the, my biggest learnings in life have been from the people that believe as differently from me as can be. Um, so I, I try to seek out the smartest people that I respect and care for that completely disagree with everything that I believe. And I, I feel as though I get a chance to understand myself a little bit better, but also have a chance to understand where they're coming from and point of view as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You write about uh, emotional quotient and cultural quotient, EQ and CQ. Um, and that touches on what you just mentioned. But what are some of the ways to grow our emotional and cultural intelligence?
2: Sure. So with EQ, that's going to be like your emotional quotient, or your emotional maturity. And we give, again, just a few tips and tricks that this applies to. We, we talk about this within the context of knowing and engaging with other people. And having the ability to read that well. Uh, the, the biggest thing is, hey, what do your listening skills look like? Are you a good listener that can uh, be in a conversation and genuinely hear what that other person is saying? And that alone, I mean, so in the industry that I'm in, I have the privilege of working with the public. And occasionally we'll have some folks that are, that are upset about something that we've messed up. And nine times out of ten, they just want to be heard. Mm-hmm. there th- there's something else in their life that is very hard or frustrating we've made a mistake and they're very upset and if you just let them have a chance to to express that um, it really goes a long way to diffuse a situation we talk about um, even just smiling more a conversation can look very very different this is mm-hmm. one of the skills that we work on at chick fil actually we talk a lot about the the ability to to smile and to share a smile with a guest and I think again to the to being able to read and understand other people that this is a huge deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that you also have a segment in the book where you talk about how we communicate with others through social media and technology, what the etiquette should be, um, how to, uh, how to approach all of that. And that that's a big deal, not only in terms of personal relationship with uh, individuals on social media, but how it impacts our professional life in the future.
2: Sure. I think the biggest, I mean, overarching filter is remembering that there's a human being on the other side of it. So, for, for young folks that have grown up with an iPhone in hand, and it's a very natural extension of who they are in their body, um, it is very easy to just see a screen and not see a person on the other side of it. So, with any of the etiquette components we, we talk a lot about, just remember that there's a real person on the other side, and how would that feel if it were you? And treating the person digitally the same way you would in, in person? Are you going to yell and scream or be that upset if they were staring and looking at you face-to-face? And we, we talk a lot about even um, we've kind of confused over time this communication for connection. We, we have the ability to engage with so many people in our pocket at any time. Um, and sometimes we'll, we'll confuse our friend group and people that care about us um, for actually just, Pieces of communication instead.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, in the second half of your book, you discuss mental health issues and offers solutions on anxiety and depression and loneliness. Let's begin with uh, loneliness, which is um, epidemic in our culture in general, but certainly among young people. What kind of uh, advice do you offer young people with regard to loneliness, even though they have access through technology, as you were just discussing, to so many more people than they might just in the normal course of life? Uh, first of all, why is loneliness such an uh, acute issue, and how do you address it among those uh, who are adulting?
2: Sure. So this is my the, the part that I like to make sure to give a disclaimer. So um, as is known, I'm a, I'm a Chick-fil-A owner-operator, but both Pete and I, we resource about five different um, counselors and therapists that we really trust their opinion to help us really create and cultivate the content in the second half of the book. So the information that's in this, uh, especially if somebody's listening to this right now, it's like, wait, I thought he sold chicken. Um, we, we did take a lot of this information um, from these other folks that do this professionally and for a living, and they helped us to craft these content, this content. And so for each topic, there's going to be two chapters. The, the first one's going to be about helping to better understand or define what that is. So in the scenario, loneliness. And the second one is just some entry-level ideas around, hey, how do you go about overcoming loneliness? And for each of the mental health topics, we also say, hey, even if this doesn't apply to you, here's how you help a friend in need, or here's how you identify a friend in need. So you might be listening to this broadcast, and you're like, man, that doesn't really apply to me, but I'm sure there's somebody in your sphere of influence that it does apply to. And we wanted to make sure to address that as well. So again, this is really intended to be a great launching point to say, hey, okay, I do feel loneliness and here's some next steps to help me work through that. Uh, But as you know, there's infinite content seemingly written about each of these topics. So some of the very practical components and as basic as it may sound is really just going out and getting involved. Find a workplace find a common interest group find a church or a small group and get connected or plugged in with something with a group of people or with somebody else that has similar interests and then really being the person to initiate that and that's sometimes the scariest thing that's Mm -hmm. the wall that keeps us from moving forward is being concerned about taking a risk and moving and, and putting yourself out there so we really just encourage you hey Initiate and get out there. Be real and vulnerable, and then have patience. Um, sometimes, with living in the age of instant, we want everything right now, and oftentimes friendships and relationships don't don't work that way. It takes time. It takes uh, energy and effort. And if we bail at the first sign of challenge then we'll always be cycling through people for our entire lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. We're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on the close of the book. You have a chapter on faith um, as a critical element of adulthood. Can you talk a bit about that?
2: Of course. So for both Pete and I, um, our faith and who we are with Jesus means more to us than anything else. But the way that both books were written was so that it would appeal to more than just people with a faith background. So the desire is, hey, this information applies to anybody, wherever they're at in their journey. But at the end, we'd like to bring it home to say, hey, for for Pete and I, this is a critical part of who we are. And this really is the lens that we're looking at the world through. And because of that, and because of who we know we are in Jesus, that is what, provides us um, that security and that kind of paints that self-awareness picture and that that influences how we engage and care for other people. And so we want to make sure that if we write a book around healthy adulthood, uh, it's really got to launch with that foundation. So we try to close with that at the end.
1: Yeah. Now, how can our listeners acquire copies of Adulting 101 Books 1 and 2?
2: It's at any major retailer online online. And Amazon is kind of the classic marketplace for that.
1: Excellent. Well, Josh, thank you so much for the books and thank you for joining us here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic up next, and we'll be back. You're listening to
0: The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Very glad to have you with us. Hey, want to remind you that we have a Father's Day opportunity coming up. How would you like to help make Father's Day extra special this year for your dad? You can enter our Father's Day giveaway and you could win $1,000 in cash for your dad. Now, we've made it easy for you to participate. Just go to kpdq.com and enter the keyword FATHER. And to increase your opportunity to win, you can enter once each day now through the 20th of June. Plus, we're providing you with the bonus entries you can earn as well. So enter today at kpdq.com. Again, the keyword is father. Well, let's see. Where are we in this second hour of today's program? We're continuing to take a look at some of the day's news. In the social justice caliphate, Ilhan Omar likens the U.S. to Hamas and the Taliban. And New York um, has an accounting program that bans whites. Apparently, the melting pot concept is no longer with us. Immigration? Well, border smugglers can earn some $200,000. That's according to The Washington Times. So you wonder why they continue to do it. And under this current administration and environment, Why not? Well, on this day in history, 1943, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt signs the Current Tax Payment Act of 1943, which reintroduced federal income tax withholding from paychecks. 1954, during the Senate Army McCarthy hearings, Army Special Counsel Joseph N. Welch berates Senator Joseph McCarthy, asking, Have you no sense of of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? 1959, on this day in history, the USS George Washington III, the first ballistic missile submarine, is launched. 1969, the Senate confirms Warren Berger to be the new Chief Justice of the United States, succeeding Earl Warren. 1986, the Rogers Commission releases its report on the Challenger disaster, criticizing NASA and rocket builder Morton Thiokol for management problems leading to the explosion that killed seven astronauts. 2013, Edward, uh, Edward Snowden is identified as the source for the NSA leaks. 2014, the Veterans Affairs Department, Affairs Department rather, announces that over 57,000 U.S. military veterans have been waiting 90 days or more for their first VA medical appointments, and an additional 64,000 appear to have fallen through the cracks altogether, never getting appointments after enrolling and requesting them. On this day in history, 2018, after leaving the annual G7 summit in Canada, President Trump pulls out of a joint statement with other summit leaders, citing what he calls false statements by the host, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Trudeau warns that he wouldn't hesitate to retaliate against new U.S. tariffs. While Americans quit their jobs at an unprecedented rate, in April, with the heaviest bout of quitting hitting restaurants... And hotels. Well, nearly 4 million Americans voluntarily left their jobs in April, the highest monthly figure ever recorded in data going back to the turn of the century. On a seasonally adjusted basis, 3.952 million Americans quit. Unadjusted, 4.023 million quit. Prior to this year, the long-term seasonally adjusted average – was two point six million monthly quits. for the private sector, a seasonally adjusted three point seven six million American American uh, quit. In April, also a record high. That means 3.1% of all workers left their jobs, another record high. Well, the ratio of quits to hire also hit record highs in the month, indicating a lot of strain on businesses trying to hire new workers and keep existing workers. Well, the leisure and hospitality sector saw a record 741,000 quits, including a record 681,000 from hotels and restaurants. Well, that puts the hotel and restaurant quit rate at 5.6%. Well, those numbers are deflated by seasonal adjustments on an unadjusted um, uh, basis, 732,000 quit restaurants and hotel jobs, a 6% rate. Well, quits were also high in retail trade. These rose to a seasonably uh, adjusted 649,000, a quit rate of 4.3%. Both are record highs. Office workers also walked. Rising quits is usually a signal that employees feel relatively confident about their job prospects, um, a bullish sign for the economy. The extraordinarily high level of quits in April, however, may be also signaling that the stimulus checks sent out in March and April prompted some workers to take time off from working altogether. And again, uh, some 22, 23 states that do not include Oregon um, have uh, or will soon discontinue those weekly benefits in an effort to fill the growing p- number of positions that are yet to be filled. Employers are struggling to fill those positions. Well, a brood of ex cicadas that rose from the earth after 17 years underground have proved their determination to leave a mark before they die off in just a few weeks. Well, the shrill winged insects have driven tourism, inspired new food trends, and even caused a car crash in Ohio. Well, on Tuesday night, the busy bugs claimed another surprising accomplishment, grounding the White House press corps as it headed to Europe for President Biden's first overseas trip in office. The White House press charter flying from Dulles to Europe ahead of President Biden's has uh, been delayed for hours due to mechanical issues caused by cicadas. That's a quote from Jonathan LeMire. He's a reporter for the Associated Press uh, tweeting late Tuesday. yes cicadas. When reporters gathered at a Marriott hotel near Dulles International Airport, they were told by a White House aide that the insects had flown into the engine, causing mechanical problems that required the airline to uh, obtain a new plane and a new captain for that flight. The journalist ended up delayed more than five hours. A spokesperson for Delta confirmed the cicadas inside the engines had prevented the plane from taking off, and while birds are the more common natural threat to airplanes. Other swarming insects, such as locusts, have spurred officials to warn pilots against flying in areas where they most cross paths with these uh, winged bugs, which can damage planes and engines and, of course, threaten the lives of those aboard. The White House press corps was uh, en route to cover the president's trip to Europe, where he will uh, meet the leaders from the group of seven industrial nations, the European Union and NATO. President Biden will also attend the summit with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Biden is uh, scheduled to depart on Wednesday. By the way, when he was attempting to board a flight uh, recently, he was um, hit in the neck by a cicada, so (laughs) they are everywhere. While the press charter flight was uh, coordinated with the help of the White House, reporters pay for their own travel through the private company operating the plane. Tuesday's night's flight was uh, scheduled to be wheels up at 9 p.m., but was delayed by the cicada issues until about 2.40 a.m. Naturally, the news that cicadas had significantly delayed a flight full of journalists spread quickly, um, and uh, Twitter was all abuzz with all kinds of comments, uh, as were the reporters who were scheduled to be on that flight. Well, Virginia teacher Byron Tanner Cross saw an outpouring of support on Tuesday as public commenters uh, blasted a school system's decision to suspend him after his now viral comments about gender. Well, the dramatic meeting at the Loudoun County Public School Board meeting was full of mic drop moments and testy confrontations over issues plaguing the school district. Many public uh, commenters either backed Cross or criticized the school board over critical race theory. Where is your regard for our freedom of speech? Asked one parent uh, who said she was a mother of three in Loudoun County. When I saw a teacher express an opinion and suspended for expressing his religious beliefs, I could no longer stay silent. When did it become acceptable to be tolerant only when someone expresses a view that we agree with? When did it become appropriate, she said, to silence those who hold Christian biblical views just because you don't? When did it become appropriate to allow the school board, I don't know, or who you think you are, but is it not appropriate? It is not Allowable to silence, bully, or dismiss our views. End quote. Well, due to a time constraint, her mic was cut off before she kept speaking and received raucous applause, flouting the chairwoman and her request to use jazz hands after that speech. Sheridan also uh, called for a recess and told the audience to find its uh, dec- uh, decorum, amplified the uh, tension. Audience members repeatedly flouted her uh, request, prompted multiple reminders from the chair. And it was a rather raucous meeting in defense of that teacher. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break. Be back in a moment.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. One of the joys of a Christian cruise is the people you meet along the way. Well, I'm talking about the Deeper Faith Alaska Cruise. 2021. You're going to be surrounded by the fellowship of like-minded travelers along with Bible teaching and worship. I've had the opportunity to attend a couple of these cruises and oh, just a a lifetime of memories. This once-in-a-lifetime travel experience is hosted by Salem Media Group and our partners, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. You'll bring home life-changing memories to treasure, stories to share. You can join the event this unforgettable cruise this summer and register at kpdq.com. All the important details will be found there. And uh, if you can if you can make it, it's uh, going to be a wonderful time. And with Alistair Begg, it can't be beat. Well, before the break, we were talking about Virginia Beach teacher uh, Byron Tanner Cross, who saw an outpouring of support on Tuesday as the public um, came out for a school board meeting uh, to support him. He had been let go by, or I should say suspended, by the school district because of comments he made at a public uh, comment hearing. Um, This was on his own personal time that ran counter to the prevailing view of the culture on the subject of uh, transgender. Uh, Well, a college student, a spokesperson for Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, a Republican, expressed support Friday for a former University of Oklahoma volleyball player, Kylie McLaughlin, Uh, who has accused the university of violating her first amendment rights by excluding her from her volleyball team over her conservative views. Well, governor Stitt fully supports every individual's right to freedom of speech and thought that used to be, um, agreed upon in this country. The governor's communications director uh, told the Daily Caller News Foundation on Friday afternoon last, it's shameful that young people on college campuses and in today's world, even K-12 classrooms who dare dissent from the left's agenda are being punished, end quote. While well, McLaughlin is uh, suing the Board of Regents at the University of Oklahoma, volunteer assistant coach Kylie Walton and University of Oklahoma volleyball head coach Lindsay Gray Walton for a minimum of $75,000, according to the lawsuit, saying that the school discriminated against her from expressing beliefs that did not fit the culture at the University of Oklahoma. She formerly served as both a team captain and first team all Big 12 player in 2018 and 2019. Well, although plaintiff supports equality, social justice, and finds racism despicable, she disagrees with the woke culture and critical race theory advocated and practiced by two of her coaches, who are the defendants in this action the lawsuit said well her case is currently pending in the or the oklahoma city federal court well gray walton did not immediately respond to requests for comments from the daily caller news foundation but the university of oklahoma athletics told the foundation in a statement it's not the practice of the university to comment on pending litigation so the, there will not be any uh, uh, further information until this goes to court, unless it's settled. Well, the lawsuit said that Gray Walton uh, required the team to watch and discuss the Netflix documentary 13th last June, a film on racism and slavery, which McLaughlin said was slanted left and criticized former President Donald Trump. She found this objectionable and was willing to say so. Pressed for more input, the plaintiff offered comments directly from the movie that black incarceration was higher than other racial groups while representing a smaller overall percentage of the population, the lawsuit said. She stated that they were incarcerated mostly for marijuana and drugs. At least one of McLaughlin's teammates found her comments racist, the lawsuit said. And McLaughlin was told she must attend another team discussion on race. Well, McLaughlin also was criticized by her teammates and coaches for retweeting a tweet about the University of Oklahoma's rival, the University of Texas, which was discussing dropping its theme song, The Eyes of Texas. McLaughlin, quote, tweeted the an ESPN tweet about the matter. Uh, with a skull and crossbones emoji and a laughing clown emoji. Plaintiff was well aware of the intense rivalry between the University of Oklahoma and the University of Texas in athletics and had competed against the University of Texas women's volleyball team on a number of occasions when she posted the emojis, the lawsuit said. Plaintiff's opinion and belief was that the Eyes of Texas is not a racist song and she was expressing her belief that it would be inappropriate uh, to get rid of it at the University of Texas because it is a strong tradition. End quote. Well, Gray Walton urged McLaughlin to delete the tweet and set up a phone call for the next morning, the lawsuit said, during which the coach told McLaughlin, I can't save you when you get into the real world when you leave here. The coach also lectured McLaughlin about her white privilege, ordered her to take down the tweet and had her apologize to University of Texas players and head coach in a phone call, according to the lawsuit. She said that her teammates and coaches branded her as a racist and homophobic after these Incidents OU Daily reported, and McLaughlin was given the choice to either transfer as a regular student or redshirt for the rest of the season and practice on her own. She chose to redshirt, but said that she was never given separate practices, according to the lawsuit, and transferred to Ole Miss. Well, this uh, these events accusing uh, the plaintiff of being racist and homophobic caused the plaintiff to experience great emotional distress, sleeplessness, and anxiety. That greatly concerned plaintiff's parents and plaintiff's mother attempted to discuss the situation with defendant Gray Walton, uh, who refused to accept her mother's calls or texts, the lawsuit said. Well, plaintiff's mother attempted to call University of Oklahoma's pros, uh, left the uh, voicemail uh, message and did not receive a return call. Well, McLaughlin's legal representation did not uh, respond to a request for comment either, but we'll see where this goes because we're going to see more and more of these conflicts over dissenting opinions, um, not an individual, as in this case, embracing racism, but suggesting that critical race theory is a form of racism and making comments uh, that didn't fit the narrative that these coaches and apparently the university had embraced. Well, a conservative think tank has created an A to Z guide for stopping critical race theory in schools. Uh, Russ Voigt uh, is leading that effort to train anti-CRT parents. Well, parents across the country are standing up and speaking out against critical race theory in schools, and I should point out that these are parents of color as well as Caucasian parents. From Loudoun County, Virginia to Carmel, New York, school board meetings have become must-see TV. But what happens when the cameras turn off? How can parents turn their, their outrage into meaningful change? Well, we're asking people to get into the arena in a situation where they're going to be called racist, and that's uh, that's the uh, the narrative these days. Russ Voigt, president of the Center for Renewing America and former director of the Office of Management and Budget under the Trump administration. They're not. They're got, uh, they've got the moral high ground, but no one wants to be called that. Well, in documents obtained exclusively by Fox News, Citizens for Renewing America, the advocacy arm of Voigt's uh, conservative think tank, has created an A to Z guide for stopping critical race theory. Voigt said the 33-page handbook is a crash course in critical race theory. a one-stop shopping uh, place for parents trying to hold their school board members accountable. Our role is to be a resource to parents, to be a resource to state legislators, to help them understand the theory, to understand the buzzwords. In addition to explaining what critical race theory is, the handbook is a guide for uh, anti-CRT activists to grow their school network and even run a successful school board campaign. One section titled winning back your school board reads identity, Uh, Identify a potential candidate or candidates to run for the school board seats that are currently being used to perpetuate the school sanctioned racist uh, racism of CRT. Perhaps that's you or perhaps you have uh, someone in mind. If not, work with your network to find and recruit candidates. The handbook reflects a political landscape already forming in towns all across America and provides resources uh, for that effort, I'll put the um, information up on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page, so that you can have access to it if you're interested in learning more about this resource to understand what is critical race theory and why are uh, parents uh, both black and white and uh, in between why are they opposing this uh, theory if it in fact is designed to confront racism and put an end to it? My uh, take on it, and we've talked about it here, and will continue in the future, is that it isn't designed to um, identify racism in order to put a, an end to it, but it uh, d- redefines racism and makes it essentially mandatory uh, within the systems where it is applied. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
1: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Nevada has agreed to pay a church one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for legal fees. And these are fees that were incurred during its legal battle against the state's worship restrictions that were enacted during the coronavirus pandemic. Now I say that as if it were no longer the case that we're, Uh, Not in the coronavirus pandemic, but you get the idea. The Nevada Board of Examiners unanimously approved a request on Tuesday morning from the Office of the Attorney General to pay a tort claim to Calvary Chapel, Dayton Valley. Susan Brown, chief of the board, explained at the meeting that the $175,000 payment was to comply with the consent decree in the case that requires the state of Nevada to pay a reasonable attorney fee. Uh, adding that this cost will come out of the tort claim fund. Well, from there, no question on the item um, were uh, asked by those attending the board meeting in person or virtually with a motion to approve the tort claim coming without a nay vote. Well, Cavalry Chapel Dayton Valley filed a lawsuit against Nevada in May of last year, accusing the governor of uh, treating churches worse than secular institutions in the state's COVID-19 rules. For example, while churches could only have 50 people in attendance, regardless of the size of the building, secular businesses like casinos and gyms could operate at 50% capacity. In June of 2020, the district court judge Richard uh, Bowware um, ruled against the Dayton Church, claiming that the church had failed to uh, to prove that it was facing discrimination. It is difficult to establish a pattern of selective enforcement directed toward places of worship when new, more restrictive measures have been imposed against secular activities and no similar restrictions were imposed on religious activities. The judge wrote last year. Well, plaintiffs requested relief would uh, require the court to engage in potentially daily or weekly decisions about public health measures uh, that have uh, traditional been left to state officials and state agencies with expertise in this area. Well, last July, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled five to four to reject a request by the church to block the restrictions, allowing the district court's ruling against them to stand, at least for the time being. However, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit sided with the church last December. Judge Milan Smith, Jr., I uh, wrote in the panel opinion that the church has demonstrated a likelihood of success on the merits of its free exercise claim. It is also established that the occupancy limitations contained in the directive, if enforced, will cause irreparable harm and that the issuance of an injunction is in the public interest. End quote. Well, according uh, accordingly, we reverse the district court, instruct the district court to employ strict scrutiny review to its analysis of the directive and preliminarily enjoin the state from imposing attendance limitations on in-person services in houses of worship that are less favorable than 25 percent of the fire code capacity. So once again, you see where the state is being held accountable for singling out houses of worship in this pandemic and decisions uh, in many cases being made arbitrarily and singling out churches for street, uh, stricter scrutiny meanwhile charles stanley has been spending more time with family since he stepped down as pastor of first baptist church atlanta in 2020 he has continued his schedule of preaching on tv and radio and uh, in in touch ministries and he's working on a book about prayer that's going to be released this fall He's not started a new business, however, selling gummies and other products infused with with cannabis or CBD, a compound extracted from the marijuana plant. Now, you might be scratching your heads and saying, what? Well, enough people thought the longtime Southern Baptist pastor, considered one of the best evangelical preachers of his generation, alongside Billy Graham and Chuck Swindoll, might have gotten into the CBD business, however, that InTouch Ministries released a warning on Saturday it is a scam, he said. Well, Dr. Stanley has not begun any new venture, the official statement said. Scammers are attempting to trick you into giving your personal information or infect your electronic devices by using Dr. Stanley's image. Well, InTouch ministry staff have reported to the false advertising to Facebook and other social media sites selling Charles Stanley CBD gummies and Charles Stanley CBD oil. But new ads with the preacher's name superimposed over a large marijuana leaf or the preacher's name next to a spilled pile of glistening gummy bears have appeared to replace them. Our social media team has been working with Facebook to quickly remove these false ads as soon as we are alerted to them. That's a quote from Seth Gray an in-touch ministry spokesperson speaking to Christianity today. Unfortunately, as soon as one ad is removed, another pops up in its place. And just to be clear, this is false. and Dr. Stanley does not endorse anything like this, Grace said. Well, the false advertisements uh, seem to have started back in April, beginning simultaneously on multiple websites registered in Iceland. Well, some of the sites were started right before the scam began, while others have, well, since... Uh, been developed in the meantime previously advertised the same cbd products with other celebrities names including oprah winfrey and martha stewart well a second wave of websites designed to look like news outlets with names like 24 7 news and big news network pretended to review the product in may and june each piece ended with a large red button to buy the product Well, the promotional material was all written in garbled English infused with health and fitness buzzwords. Charles Stanley CBD gummies are one of the most selling and effective health improvement products that are constituted from various herbal and natural ingredients. This is the ad that are pure and natural to help consumers to get over various mental and physical health issues such as anxiety, depression, stress, mental headache, sleeping disorders, acne issues, heart diseases, etc. One ad. Um, on the website reads. Well, another explained that with this miracle product, one's wellness, namely in terms of inflammation and related health consequences, is believed to gradually reverse with time. End quote. Well, the phrase health consequences linked to an advertisement on another site designed to look like a news report on a safe herbal ingredient linked them together. One of the fake reviews said that Charles Stanley CBD gummies, I have 600 milligrams of unadulterated top-notch CBD to assist you to really feel extraordinary without the substantial uh, explanation point and concluded CBD is as of this moment, astonishing the us. That's a direct quote. Well, the artificial English snake oil promises and nonsense reviews serve as a backdrop for the social media ads, providing an appearance of legitimacy to convince Uh, computer algorithms and anyone uh, doing a quick Google search that Charles Stanley CBD gummies do in fact exist. Well, they don't. But these scams do work, according to consumer protection advocates. The Better Business Bureau has documented more than 400 people taken in by CBD scams in the U.S. in the last five years. Some lose only a little bit of money, maybe $6, $12, $13.95. But others signing up for a free sample agree to pay shipping and handling and then later find their bank account charged hundreds of dollars a month for months. Well, there is uh, no established estimate of how much money is stolen this way every year. Well, in some cases, however, the product does exist. Uh, It's just the endorsement that is not real. So it can be difficult to sort through. But in the case of the Charles Stanley CBD ad, uh, it does not exist. And the link to gummies and oils that are actually sold by a company called Schmills, um, which is owned by a self-described serial entrepreneur and mind-body transformation guru, Um, according to an advertisement designed to look like an article in USA Today, uh, is linked to an actual uh, individual. Well, it's become common for uh, scammers to bait their hooks with fake celebrity endorsements, according to the Better Business Bureau. The Consumer Advocacy Group warns people to be skeptical of celebrity endorsements and resist being swayed by the use of well-known names. And again, the point being that uh, Charles Stanley is not selling CBD products of any kind. And for people who respond to the ad, it's generally uh, in order that the scammers can gain information from you to be misused in some way. So be forewarned. Hmm. The lengths to which people are willing to go. All right, we're going to take a quick break here in just a moment. I do want to let you know that uh, tomorrow on the program, we're going to talk with David Horowitz. The Enemy Within is his latest book, How a Totalitarian Movement is Destroying America. He'll be joining us in the five o'clock hour. So I hope you can join us. It's an important book and he has become an important influencer and a conservative from his uh, radical leftist sixties roots. It's a rather interesting odyssey. Anyway, he'll be joining us tomorrow and I hope you can uh, join us as well. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show. We'll be back in a moment. So stay with us.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: We're back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you that KPDQ is uh, featuring a Father's Day giveaway. If you'd like to help your dad enjoy a Father's Day unlike any other, we've got a great um, contest for you to enter. You can enter our Father's Day giveaway, and you could win $1,000 in cash for your dad. And We've made it easy for you to participate. Just go to kpdq.com and enter the keyword father and to increase your opportunity to win you can enter once every day now through the 20th of june plus we uh, we're providing you with bonus entries that you can earn as well you can enter today at kpdq.com enter the keyword father and uh, every day from now to the 20th to uh, win the father's day one thousand dollar cash giveaway that's pretty cool Well, lots of parents today wouldn't think twice about sitting their kids down in front of the Disney Channel or Cartoon Network. Although if you've sat down in front of the Disney Channel and Cartoon Network, you probably know you probably need to preview pretty much anything you're sitting your kids down in front of. And that uh, conservatives warn is exactly the problem. Like so many other moms and dads, they're expecting the same kind of harmless storylines they watched in the 70s and 80s. What their child is seeing now is anything but. Say goodbye to the regular plot lines of Blue's Clues, for example, and Scooby-Doo, and say hello to a 21st century lesson in transgenderism, sex, homosexuality, and non-binaries and drag queens. So writes Tony Perkins on what's uh, on the networks, what's on the um, cable networks in 2021. Networks are programming children with LGBT agenda during Pride Month. Well, that's the new reality of radical programming on some of America's favorite shows, especially parents are discovering during June, which is Pride Month. Lovable animals like Arthur and My Little Pony have been commandeered by the far left for lessons that would make most adults jaws drop. Well, in the latest example on Blue's Clues, real-life drag queen Nina West sings a Pride Parade song to the tune of The Ants Go Marching, uh, except... um, The lyrics have been replaced with LGBTQ buzzwords such as ace, I have no idea, it stands for asexual, as well as queer, bi, pan, allies, and kings and queens. The Blaze warns uh, Blue and Friends watch their two mom floats go by while rainbow and transgender flags dot the colorful landscape. Well, this is just the beginning of Nickelodeon's full-blown assault on mainstream morality. SpongeBob SquarePants, no surprise there, has already stepped into the LGBTQ world. So according to TMZ, it's really not um, that much of a stretch for them to get Blue on board as well. Well, the goal, the outlet says, is to take proactive steps to teach kids about different family structures in a fun, catchy way that appeals to young children. And unfortunately, these networks aren't the only ones. Breitbart uh, ticked off 13 shows that are blatantly pushing this indoctrination on children, including some surprising favorites, such as Adventure Time on the Cartoon Network, DuckTales on Disney, My Little Pony on the Discovery uh, channel uh, That's Discovery Family, Arthur on PBS, The Loud House on Nickelodeon, Clarence, the Cartoon Network, She-Ra and the Princess of Power on DreamWorks, Andy Mack on Disney, Steven Universe on the Cartoon Network, Star vs. the Force of Evil on Disney XD, and Gravity Falls on Disney. And yet, despite this complete activist takeover of children's programming, LGBTQ extremists still insist they have a long way to go. But at least nowadays, their Pride websites brag, there's so much amazing LGBTQ plus representation in animated children's shows, giving a whole new generation of young queer kids the much-needed representation and visibility they need, end quote. Well, like so many other Netflix and PBS shows, producers seem dead set on turning wholesome family-friendly stories into a weapon of indoctrination and they're doing it under the guise of children's programming well in case uh, in case of longtime favorites such as uh, disney and my little pony beloved franchise are being distorted to promote a radical 21st century agenda so what can parents do first off don't assume that any form of secular entertainment is safe from this type of storyline watch these programs with your kids if you can or check them out in advance Click over the organization such as the Parents Television Council, Movie Guide, or One Million Moms for resources or reviews for um, help in knowing what to expect. Again, that's the uh, Parents Television Council. Movie Guide, or One Million Moms for resources and reviews. But the most important piece of advice is this. Don't take anything for granted. If you're a mom or a dad who's concerned about the message Hollywood is sending your kids, don't assume that just because it's the Disney Channel or because it's called ABC Family or PBS that the show is innocent or family-friendly, especially in the month of June, but not exclusively in the month of June. So keep that in mind. Meanwhile, social workers, youth shelters, and the threat of uh, parents' rights is the subject of a piece written by Abigail Schreier. She writes that the social order politics and law is coming for kids and parents have very little recourse. Ahmed is a Pakistani immigrant, a faithful Muslim, and until recently a financial consultant to Seattle's high-tech sector. When he reached... um, uh, Abigail Shire, by phone in October of last year, he was just one more frightened father. Days earlier, he and his wife had checked their 16-year-old son into Seattle Children's Hospital for credible threats of suicide. Now, Ahmed was worried that uh, the White Coats, uh, who had gently admitted his son to, the, uh, to their care, would refuse to return him to their care. They sent an email to us, uh, you should take your daughter to the gender clinic, he told me. Well, at first, Ahmed, I have Uh, this this is a fictitious name, assumed there had been a mistake. He had dropped off a son, Saeed, to the hospital in a terrible state of distress. Now the email he received from the mental health experts used a new name for that son and claimed he was Ahmed's daughter. Uh, They were trying to create a customer for their gender clinic, and they seemed to absolutely want to push us in that direction, he said. And when Shire spoke to him again this May, recalling the horror of last October, We had calls with counselors and therapists in the establishment telling us how important it is for him to change his gender because that's the only way he's going to be better uh, out of this suicidal, depressive state. Well, Saeed had been a straight-A student and, according to his parents and family therapist, quite brilliant. He's also on the autism spectrum, a young man who neglects to make eye contact and must be given rules for how long to shake hands, shower, or brush his teeth. High school was a slog for him, and it's often uh, for kids on the spectrum who find that the social demands of adolescents uh, is uh, more than they have the capacity to handle. He tried to ask uh, a few girls out. It didn't work. Um, he got frightened and angry and uh, that kind of thing. And so those girl-guy um, uh, interactions were very difficult for him. When lockdowns uh, hit, the boy who was already struggling socially and befuddled by questions Um, neurotypical teens take for granted. How do I show a girl I like her? How do I make the other kids include me? Began to spend all day and night on the Internet. He's an autistic kid, and so he uh, kind of lost track of time and so on. Well, it's a rather long story, and we don't have time to get into all of it today, but the point uh, is, and I'll return to this article perhaps tomorrow or um, uh, next week. The point of the article is that uh, she not only Interviewed and talked with this particular parent, but others uh, who found that social workers and youth shelters were threatening the parents' oversight over their own children. Uh, and again, we'll get into this in greater detail. I apologize for sort of leaving it hanging at this point, but did at least want to to begin to uh, to take a look. Well, tomorrow we'll talk with David Horowitz. The Enemy Within is the title of his book. I want to thank James Blind for producing Clark Hilton for engineering and Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
0: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast.